Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How was everyone today? Hope you guys are doing well. How many of you have ever been given a gift that you did not like? Anybody? Well, we're going to show a few on the screen that uh, maybe some of you have gotten, but I don't recommend giving. First of all, this pair of slippers. Let's throw that on the screen. How many of you would like this? How many of you would wear it? All right. All right. How many ice cream lovers do we have out there? This is not fried chicken ice cream bucket. Notice the price, $99. Must take a lot of money to make ice cream that looks like chicken. Does anybody like Ben and Jerry's ice cream by a show of hands? There's this new invention that protects your Ben and Jerry's. It is the combination lock. So that way when your spouse tries to get it out of the freezer, they can't do it. Does anyone here like mac and cheese? They now have mac and cheese candy canes just in time for Christmas. Don, would you eat it? No? Okay. All right. For those of you who like to agitate those in your family, this is the handy squirrel set. Back scratch, anybody? All right. Now, this next gift is for the men only. Okay. You ladies don't have this problem, but belly button lint brush. Three ninety nine on Etsy. <laughs> you guys are getting, that's a pretty good deal. All right. How many readers do we have in the audience? Okay. You ever get tired of looking down now? Your problem solved. These are the lazy reader glasses. It's got a special lens that allows you to look straight and you can read the book. Pretty cool. All right. How many coffee drinkers in the audience? All right, the last two are for coffee drinkers. This is the Lazy Sloth coffee mug. Today, I will do absolutely nothing. And this final one is just for Pastor Joe. As he's confessed, he slowly sips his coffee. And when Pastor Joe gets to the end of the coffee, he reads this, you've been poisoned. (laughs) So those are some gifts that people may or may not like. But did you know that there's actually certain gifts that God doesn't like? God doesn't like a gift that's taken back. It's a hypocritical hypocritical gift. You ever given something to God and taken it back? I know I've done that. He doesn't like that type of gift. God doesn't like a gift when you complain about it. You ever given your time or your treasure and then you kind of complain or reluctant? Man, I wish I didn't serve in the sixth grade boys class this week. They were hard. Sorry, sixth grade boys. But God also doesn't like when we give with unforgiveness in our hearts. And Matthew says, if you have a gift... Go ahead and leave it before you bring it to the altar. Go and reconcile to your brother or sister. There's certain gifts that God himself doesn't like. How many of you would know what type of giving God likes? How many of you would like to know that? I'm kind of there. If you're just joining us, we want to say welcome to Arden first. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to those watching online. We're doing a series called Holy Habits. These are seven spiritual disciplines that when you apply them to your life, they change your life. For some of us, it's renewal. It's kind of a review. For others of us, it feels like spiritual boot camp. How many of you have felt like you've been through boot camp the past few weeks? Week one, we talked about surrendering your entire life as a blank check to God. You know, present your body as a living sacrifice. Your life should be like a living worship service. Week two was the holy habit of Bible study. 
And I challenge all of you to get in the word every single day because it's the power of God. It's the word of God with the spirit of God makes the change in your life. And this week is about giving. And as we talk about giving, I need to offer apology. My, my elders have told me that I've done kind of a poor job, pun intended, talking about giving. In six and a half years, I've only given one message on giving. And that's unfortunate because the Bible is full of exhortation to give. But I want to present a message that may alter the way you think about giving. A lot of times you've been guilted into giving. How many of you have ever been guilted to give before? High pressure, um, manipulation. But today we're going to just look at the New Testament, what it says about New Testament giving. Because many of us feel weird about giving because we've heard it presented in a wrong way that manipulates us or guilts us or there's high pressure or we always feel like we're never enough. But New Testament giving is far different than what you may realize. So we're going to answer the question, what is the genius of generosity? And I, I borrowed the title from Chip Ingram. He has a book called The Genius of Generosity. Several years ago, I read it. And it's the idea that giving is not just good. It's not just loving, but giving is genius. How many geniuses do we have in the audience today? <laughs> Everyone raise your hand. All right, so let's look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. And again, welcome those watching online. We're going to read this passage. And then I want to give you four generous principles concerning the genius of generosity. Verse 6. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will reap a what kind of crop? A small crop. But the one who plants generously will reap a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. So notice that. I'm going to camp out in the phrase for a moment. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And what's interesting, many of us have never thought about this before. Many of us, it's been a certain percentage that you've been pressured or you're robbing God. How many of us ever heard the sermon, you're robbing God? But Paul, when he lays out New Testament giving, notice there's no percentage attached. It says you each must determine in your heart how much you should give. And isn't that freeing? Isn't that freeing when you're giving under grace? And we're going to talk about that in a moment. You must each decide how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So from now on, if anyone pressures you, you don't have to give because it's not your money to give. It's God's and God's like, when you're giving my money, don't give in response to pressure. And here's the reason why. For God loves a person who gives gives how cheerfully He loves a cheerful giver and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. All right, who provides it? God provides the seed and the bread. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources And then a great harvest of generosity, it will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so you can build a bigger house. Is that what it says? So you can get a nicer car. So you can take more trips around the world. What does it say that? (laughs) No, it says, so a lot of you have heard give so you can get, but here's, here's what it says. So that you can always be generous. So here's the idea. It's not give to get. 
It's a gift, so I have more to give. That's a different concept of giving, my friend, than many of us have heard. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two things will come from the result of this ministry and giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will glorify, give glory to God for your generosity to them and to all the believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. Father, as we pray over your word, we thank you that New Testament giving is that which is an outflow of grace. That we have been graced by God, so we are entrusted to do great things for God. Thank you for this amazing genius of generosity revealed in your scripture. So Lord, help us understand what your word has to say. And we pray that your blessing will be upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to give you four generous principles about the genius of generosity. The first principle is this. You have to understand the law of the harvest. In verse 6, let me go find my, my, my seed here. You know, I sometimes come with little props here. All right. In verse 6, it says, The farmer that sows a little will reap what? A little. So imagine you're a farmer and you're sowing. A farmer who sows a little bit reaps a little bit. But the farmer that sows bountifully what? Reaps bountifully. So here's the idea. The law of the harvest is you reap what you sow, you reap more than what you sow, and you reap later than what you sow. Paul says it like this in Galatians 6. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he reaps. He who sows to his flesh, that's your sinful nature, shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit shall reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time, in due season, we shall reap a harvest of righteousness if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So what is Paul saying? You guys are a farmer, and whatever you sow, you reap. So look back at verse 10. In verse 10, it says, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of righteousness. So here's the idea. God provides the seed. So there are three things that you can do with seed. The first thing you can do with seed is eat it. I have a loaf of bread here. And, you know, when you get hungry... It's really good to eat. I hope, is there some water down there? Was it back there? Okay, I need a little water here. So, oh, I see it here. Thank you. There's usually water laying around. So it's good. So you can eat it. Be sure you have water if you do. I need to plan that next time accordingly. All right, thank you. That's a dry bread. 
All right, so you can eat it. The other thing you can do is, so you eat the bread. The other thing you can do is store the bread. So, like, imagine your bank here. This is my bank account. I'm going to store it. And the other thing you can do is what? All right, Don Catch, you ready? <laughs> so three things. Seed is for living. It's for giving and it's for saving. Now, which of those three should you do with your resources? All three, right? God wants you to have resources that you save. You know, it says in Proverbs, a righteous person and has inheritance for his children's children, right? I mean, that's, that's amazing if you, can, if you can be a good saver. And God provides our daily bread, right? So you need to eat. The challenge with some of us is we get so caught up on the first two. So if I'm a Christian and all I'm doing is eating the seed, I become spiritually lethargic. I become a consumer. You ever met a consumer Christian that they, they just kept eating? I'm not going to eat anymore because I'll, I'll get choked here. But, uh, you know, they just keep eating, right? You can eat too much of your seed. And that becomes spiritually lethargic Christian. Some people, all they do is save their seed. And you ever seen the show Hoarders? Some of you have seen that show. It's a nightmare. But they, they have so much seed saved. And their, their family struggling because they're not spending any. And then their church or their generosity struggling because they're not, they're not releasing the seed. So those are three things. So I need, I need a volunteer. Dakota, come on up here. I embarrassed Leah last time. This time it's time to embarrass you. See, at this church, if you're visiting here, we do something called voluntold. You get asked to do something. So hold out your hand, Dakota. We're going to practice since most of us are pretty good at eating the seed and some of us are good at saving the seed. Some of us struggle with giving. But here's the thing. This is a this is a bean seed. And the thing about it is if I give it to Dakota, hold tightly to it. Is that seed going to multiply in his hand? It's going to eventually die, right? Only when he releases it, only when he gives it, does it have the potential to multiply. So here's the thing. Keep your hand closed. Hold it, hold it out here. All right. And the thing is, God is releasing seed, but what's happening? His hand's close. God's like pouring out these blessings and, and his hand's close. And the Bible says with whatever measure you use to give, God uses the same container, the same measure. So let's change it. Dakota, God gets a hold of his heart and he's like, all right, I've got plenty of seed to store and to eat. But God's realized I'm, I'm supposed to give it back to him because he's the one who gives the seed. And, you know, I can't outgive God. So let's just trust him. So open your hand. OK, I want you to give release the seed. All right. Open your hand up. Give. Open your hand up. Give. All right. Now put both hands together. The more you give, the more capacity you have for generosity. So God begins to pour it out. Give. Pour it out. Give. Pour it out. Give. And here's the thing. Say here. You're not done yet. God never runs out, right? You can't outgive God. You can try, but you can't outgive God. So wait, wait there one second. I'll be right back. All right. So here's the thing. We might want to back you up a little bit because this could get a little messy here. So here's the thing. 
with whatever you measure you use, it's going to be measured back to you, right? So hold your hands out. Posture. Receive, give. Receive, give. Receive, give. You can't outgive God. Amen. <laughs> All right. So the genius of generosity is realizing that this seed, God's given me plenty to live off of, and you need to have food for your family. By the way, I've got a bean in my shoe here. Ugh, all right, that's going to feel weird. I'll preach. All right. So God's going to give you enough to live off of. He's going to give you enough to store. A wise person stores and saves. But then the genius of generosity is that God gives so that you can increase your generosity. And only what you release gets multiplied against the backdrop of eternity. Other things that you hold on has the potential to die. Only what you release to God has the potential to truly multiply. Amen. So, look at this generosity thought on your listening guide. I will practice generous giving because I know that God is the one who provides both the seed and the harvest. My job is to trust God's goodness and so generously and expectantly. All right. How many of you are ready for generous idea number two? A generous giver plans their giving strategy. Look at verse seven. Each of you must decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure for God loves a cheerful giver. So in church, how many of you have ever wondered about how much should I give, God? How much? How many of you ever asked that? How many of you have ever been in a tithing debate, whether you should tithe or not? I grew up in church. That lasts all. So here's the thing. The problem with debates is we try to put a limit on how little we can give. The genius of generosity is in verse 7. It says each person must decide how much he or she should give. Notice if Paul wanted to put a percentage on that, he would have, right? So before we answer how much we should give, we've got to ask the how and the why. How should we give? First of all, he says cheerfully. Aren't you glad that God didn't say give if you feel like it or not? How many of you ever heard give whether you feel like it or not? Is that biblical? The scripture says that don't let anyone compulse you or pressure you because God wants your giving to be a cheerful it's kind of like my wife is getting ready to have her birthday here soon, this upcoming week. How would she feel? It's like, man, I know I had to get you a gift. These roses, I did it because I had to. How would she receive those? She wouldn't at all. That's the way God feels. He's like, listen, I'm the one who gave you the seed. This ain't your seed. So God doesn't need your money. He's the one who gave you the money to begin with. It's not yours, it's his. I mean, once we realize that, it's like, I'm only stewarding the seed. I didn't come up with it. God gave it to me. And my job is to use it to live, to give, and to save up. So here's the, here's the principle behind it, is that don't give out of pressure. So from now on, if someone comes up to your window and says, give me money, I'm homeless, I'm poor, pray about it. And if God tells you to do it, do it. But the scripture says, don't give out of pressure, because it's not your money to give. It's God's. And that should set you free. So, so many times I felt, should I give this person? I feel so guilty. Scripture says don't give under pressure. Don't give out of compulsion. Don't let anyone manipulate you to give. 
Give as you decide in your heart. So that's the how, but what's the why? Well, a few reasons why. Generosity is the culture of the kingdom of God. For God so loved the world that he gave. See, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And anytime someone loves, they give. It's impossible to love and not give. So if you love God, part of it is, God, I give you not just the finances, but I give you my time. I give you the talent. I'm giving you back because everything good I have, you're the originator. You're the source and I'm the resource. I want want you to look at the person next to you and say, God is the source. You're the resource. Where we get confused is we think that we're the source. There's no human being that's the source. God is the source and you're simply the resource. So here's the idea behind it. So how much should I give? How much? You guys, I'm going to answer that for you. Well, the Bible says each person must decide in their heart. So I can't give you a percentage. In in the Old Testament, when you think about giving, you think about the what? The tithe, right? Which was 10%. But when you add all the offerings together, it's at least 23%. Some scholars have come up with a higher number, but it's at least 23% of your gross income. That's Old Testament. And I'm sorry that some people have guilted or manipulated you that shall you rob God? And they quote Old Testament law to make New Testament Christians feel guilty. But let me give you a little secret that hopefully you will receive. You're not under the old covenant. You're under the new covenant. Well, someone's like, well, what about the Old Testament? Well, listen. All 66 books are inspired of the Bible. The moral laws of the Old Testament are repeated again in the New Testament. It's never right to kill, still commit adultery. The moral laws still apply, but the ceremonial things like how much you should give, even the clothes you wear, they're not repeated in the New Testament because you're under, you're not, Paul said it like this, you're not under law, but you're under grace. Oh, that's so freeing. That's so freeing. So I apologize on behalf of all the pastors and people on television that have manipulated, guilted you, quoted old covenant to make new covenant Christians feel guilty. So here's the thing. How much should you give? Three steps. Number one, pray about it. When's the last time you prayed about God? How much should I give of my time, of the money that you've entrusted me with? How much should I give of my talent? You know, all of you are talented. I'm looking at an audience full of talented people. Those online, you guys are exceptionally talented. God, how much should I give? And then when you think about prayer, then that brings us to the next point. After you pray about it, then you need to sit down and talk to people about it. Say, God, okay, what, 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 what should we do? And then you study the scriptures as point two, look through the Old Testament, New Testament. And then step three is you set a percentage. It's proportional to your income. Someone once said, this is Peter Marshall, he was the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. He says, give according to your income, lest God set your income according to your giving. Let me say that again, don't you? Give according to your income, lest God set your income according to your giving. So when you think about it, under law and under grace, let's, let's talk about those two concepts. Are things lower under grace or higher under grace? What do you guys think? Let's let Jesus answer that. In the Old Testament, it says don't commit adultery. In the New Testament, Jesus said don't even lust. Is that lower or higher? That's much higher. In the Old Testament, 
it's probably not a good idea to kill someone, right? In the New Testament, don't even have hatred in your heart. Is that lower or higher? You could go through all the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. Everything's higher under grace, not lower. So it begs the question, well, if that's the case, why didn't, why didn't he say at least tithe? Why didn't Paul just say, hey, at least give 10%? And the answer is he wanted you to give out an expression of grace. Not because you had to, not because you need to, but because you get to. Because God is the one who provides seed for the sower and he provides bread for food. And then he provides seed for us to sow back into the harvest. Not so we can become a rich Christian, but so that we become a generous Christian. So that, that, that's, that's the principle of it all. So think about your giving strategy. And basically you get to the point of saying, God, how much out of all you've given me, how much, what percentage do you want me to give? So let me give you an example. How many of you have heard of Rick Warren? He's in Southern California. Many of you have heard of him. He just retired. He started a church in 1980 called Saddleback. Saddleback is a Southern Baptist church. And basically he, he went door to door in Southern California in his community. And a lot of the people in his neighborhood were unchurched. So he said, number one, why don't you go to church? And if you could give me as a new pastor any advice, what would it be? And people basically said, as a whole, basically the church is too formal and it's not relevant to my life. And they said the church is always asking for my money. That was the top answer. So he created Saddleback to reach those who were unreached. Years later, the church grew to 22,000 people in attendance. The time he came, he had no building, no money, no congregation. But he started reaching people where they were at. So fast forward, when the church really grew, he wrote a book that became a New York Times bestseller. Does anybody know what it is? Purpose Driven Life. It sold so many copies. I believe at the time it was the most ever, except the Bible, in English literature in all of history. And Rick made so much money off the book, he did something very unusual. He contacted his financial treasurer at the church and said, I want you to tell me how much money I made in the past 20 years, whatever it was. I'm going to pay back every penny I ever made back to the church. From now on, I'm going to work for free. And he did something called reverse tithing. Reverse tithing. You're like, what is reverse tithing? He decided because God had prospered him with so much seed, he was going to work for free. And he was going to give away 90% of his book sales into the work of the church, the homeless, the needy. And he was going to live off 10%. But don't feel bad for him because 10% he's doing, still doing really well. So to this day, the last time I checked, he actually lives off 9% and he gives away 91% of his income. Wouldn't that be amazing if you could live off 9%? I'll sign up for that any day, right? So here's the idea. The reason why we give under grace and not under a certain percentage is God doesn't want to put a limit on your generosity. If God can get it through you and he can trust you, he's going to get it to you. So the genius of generosity is I can never outgive God. As far as my knowledge, that's the only thing in the whole Bible God says to test me in the area of giving. Because you will never be more generous than God, I guarantee. So display that. F.B. Meyer once said, he is the richest man in the steam of the world who has gotten the most, right? Who's gotten the most toys. But he is the richest man in the steam of heaven who has what? Given the most. Do you want to be rich in the eyes of the world or do you want to be rich in the eyes of heaven? All right. Generous principle number three. A generous giver displays a positive attitude about generosity. Verse seven. God loves a what kind of giver? 
a cheerful giver. It's so fun walking on all these beans, by the way. I feel like I'm at some kind of beach or something, the sand under my feet. So I want you to think about cheerful. When's the last time you gave out of a sense of like, wow, I get to give. I get to help somebody. Now, I wish I could share all the stories in this church, but in recent years, we've, having, we've had at least three cars given away to people in need through this church. Did you guys know that? Cars. People donate their car. And we've been able to help those. I mean, that's like who gives away a car? A generous giver does. So here's the thing. Like when you look in the book of Acts, they didn't live by a certain percentage. The Bible says they sold houses and lands and they gave to people that had needs. The idea is if you have three houses, is it going to hurt you to sell one to help a poor person? I mean, that was kind of their thought. And it wasn't they had to. They felt led by the spirit to do it. Hey, I've got three houses. I can sell one. Hey, I've got five cars. Is it going to hurt me if I give one car to a, a single mom in need? That's, that's the genius of generosity, that God has blessed you not so that you can hoard it, not so that you can become a consumer of all the goods, but so that you can be a genius in your giving, a genius of generosity that you can never outgive God. Many of you have read Ann Landers, her columns. They're very, often very creative. She wrote a column, a true story, about this lady. She was married to a multi-millionaire, very wealthy guy. The problem was he didn't really eat the bread. He stored the bread. And he stored so much of it that the family didn't really, even though they were millionaires, they didn't live like it. So he made a strange request to his wife. He said, when I die, I'm going to ask you to do something different about it. Just trust me. I want you to put all my money into my casket when I die. And she thought for a moment and said, okay, honey, if that's what you want, I'll do it. So sure enough, the guy died, and at the funeral, the wife was seen putting something in the casket. And the wife's best friend said, what were you putting in the casket? I mean, why were you putting that in the coffin? And she told the story. My husband said, when I die, I want you to put all my wealth into, the, into my coffin. So I did. A promise made is a promise kept. And the lady's like, well, how are you going to live? I mean, if you gave all the money into his coffin, how are you going to live? And the lady said, well, unless he discovers how to cash a check in heaven, I'm going to be okay. (laughs) I've never seen a luggage rack on a hearse. In other words, you can't take it with you, right? Can't take it with you. Smart lady. She wrote him a check. Enjoy that money. Not going to take it. So here's the idea of a generous giver. It's someone that gives with the idea of God, I can never outgive you we got several business uh, people in here. Someone tell me what ROI is. <sighs> All right. Got a lot of business owners and leaders. Have you ever heard of E-R-O-I? What is E-R-O-I? Let me give you a new concept. It's eternal return on investment. Eternal return on investment. There are two things that live forever, according to the Bible. The word of God, it lives forever, and the souls of people. So listen, you can sow seed into the stock market. It goes up and down, but no eternal dividends. You can sow seed into your house. It's nice, but then you have to remodel it after 10 years, right? How many of you have been through that? Like it's out of date now. Everything you sow seed into, it has a little additional effect. But the only thing that multiplies for an eternal effect is invested in the souls of people, their eternal destination, and the ministry of the word. So I want to ask you, how is your EROI doing? What things are you living that will live beyond you? What things are you investing in that will keep on living? 
So let's get better at E-R-O-I. All right, generous thought number four. A generous giver rejoices in the fruit of a generous life. Now, I wish we had time to break down verses 8 through 15, and we will hit a few highlights. But the idea of this, verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. See, part of our struggle with generosity is not that we can't give. It's like, man, I want the extra car. I want the bigger house. I want... And those things aren't bad in and of themselves as long as you're generous. So you may see what someone has, but you don't see what they give. So let's not be quick to judge people that have nice stuff because you don't know what they're giving. But a lot of times we don't give because it would infringe upon our quality of life. That's more American Christianity than it is biblical Christianity. So I wanted to give a living demonstration of what I'm talking about. So Scott and Karen Whitley, come on up. Let's give them a hand. So uh, you guys will need a mic here. Be careful with these uh, beans because they're very tripping hazard. So before they speak, I'm going to kind of set them up. I met Scott and Karen several years ago at another church and they kind of blew me away because their mindset was E-R-O-I. What can we do? Not just with money, but time, talent, influences, relationship to leverage it. For the kingdom of God. So they're just going to share a few minutes of their testimony, and I hope it inspires us. You really have made a mess up here. Um, well, good morning, good morning everyone. Um, have you ever sat in a sermon and squirmed? I've been sitting here going like, wow. Um, this, this is hitting me kind of hard because I've gone through various stages in my life. I went from being stingy to maybe hopefully stewardship and, and that that stingy part was you know when we were young and we were dating in college and when we first got married it was kind of that we were saving up enough money to go to McDonald's so you know the the thought of giving my McDonald's money to God was kind of rough and so I, I, was, I, was, I was holding on to it like uh, you know what we were showing earlier today and then when we finally got really into a better place, um, this, this wonderful elder in our church, uh, his name was Earl Hudson, came to me and was talking about tithing. And he was telling me about his life and how he had to budget. And he said, you know, I, I created this budget where the first 10%, you know, he was doing old school, you know, the first 10% of anything I brought home, that was the first check that I wrote to the church. And he said, and in times it was hard to do that because, you know, I was having to, to, to compromise. So I, I look at, you know, myself and said, well, I need to do that. I need to be that person. You know, and I'm doing it not out of guilt, but I'm doing it more obligation. I'm doing it now more out of duty and responsibility because that, that's who I wanted to be in Christ. But it wasn't until much later I had this little paradigm switch. And it was, I was looking at things all wrong. You know, again, it was uh, God is providing. God has given me all these gifts. He's given me everything that I've ever had. And instead of hoarding things or trying to, you know, parse things back out, I need to do it in a way of generosity. And it's really a stewardship. You know, being stewards of the gifts that God has given me. Because I know that one day I'm going to sit in the beam of seat of Christ. And I'm going to be held accountable for everything I've never done. And some of that is being held accountable for stewarding the gifts that he has given me. 
And I want to be that one that I hear those words come out of his mouth. Well done, good and faithful steward. And that's what I'm trying to do. You know, I'm giving as much of my time, I'm giving much of my skills and talents as I possibly can. And obviously giving, you know, in abundance to what I can give. You know, to the church, to the community, to others in need. Because God has given it to me. Why should I hold on to treasures here on earth when I want to build treasures in heaven? The only thing that I can add to that is that God has given us an infant, a very finite number of days. So the most precious thing we have is our time, is our time. And um, to be able to give generously of your time and your attention to people is a tremendous gift. God gives us limited number. But he's asked us to release it over to him. Praise be to God. Amen. I think we should just all plan the beans after the service. That's really... <laughs> Thank you. So I want you to look at your listening guide. I don't have time to go into all the depth because I want you guys to beat the Methodist for lunch today. But I do want to hit a few highlights. Uh, eight generous truths I want you guys to take with you. And these are kind of the benefits, how you can never outgive God. Here's some of the things that Paul mentions. Generosity leads to provision and abundance. When you meet the needs of others, guess what? God meets your needs. Number two, generosity will be forever remembered by God. It says the, the deeds that you did for the poor will be remembered forever. How many of you want God to remember everything you did for him forever? I mean, it's just like, think about that. God saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that powerful? Generosity leads to a great harvest and increase your supply of seed for the future. Look at verse 10. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Here's the secret. The more that you give, the more God gives you so you can give. What if God gave you not just to increase your standard of living, but to increase your standard of giving? Isn't that, that's just something we have to sink in. That so many times we think increase my standard of living. Nothing wrong with that. But are you also increasing your standard of giving? Number four, generosity will enrich your life in every way. Verse 11, it says you will be enriched in every way. The danger of the prosperity gospel teachers is that you give so that you can get in return and get nicer cars and planes and all that. The other danger side is the poverty gospel where you just got to give everything away. You got to feel guilty if you have nice stuff. You know, New Testament giving is that you give while at the same time you enjoy the blessings that God has given you. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. Let's go and throw that passage up. He said, command the rich. And by the way, we're all rich. Did you know by worldly standards, all of us are rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Think of stock market. Think of economy. Think of inflation. Their trust should be in God. Look at this phrase, who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. So did you know it's okay to enjoy God's blessings? So stop looking at your neighbor and judging them. Oh, you have a nicer house car. Those, those are blessings you're to enjoy. So the poverty gospel makes you feel guilty if you're not giving it all away. But the true gospel tells us there's a balance between sowing and reaping, giving and storing. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. 
always being ready to share with others. So think about this balance. I love the, the Bible, how balanced it is. You should never feel guilty about your money because it's not your money. It's God's money. And there's no certain percentage for the New Testament believer. And by the way, some pastors, I can't speak for all, but some are afraid to say it's not a law to tithe anymore. You know why? Can I just tell you? Because they're afraid the church offerings will do what? But here's the secret that we all need to discover. When you're living under grace, you don't do less. You're inspired out of love to give out of grace, which is always greater than the law. Amen. All right, let's continue to talk about the benefits. We're closing soon. Generosity will bless others and point them towards God. Don't you want to use your money to influence people for eternity? That's what generosity does. When you invest in souls, when you invest in lives, generosity is evidence that you're truly living out the gospel. There's really no such thing as a stingy Christian. There shouldn't be, right? For God to love the world that he gave. And if, if we have been embraced by a generous God, we should be generous in all things. Number seven, generosity helps believers together in prayer. Did you know that when you bless others, think about missionaries on the mission field, think about poor people. When you bless others and you enter into their suffering, their response as a byproduct is to pray for you. Their their response is to pray for you in their need, in your need. And finally, this is the the climax of this passage. Generosity was demonstrated by God when he gave the greatest gift. What gift did he give? So think about this. Let's show the scripture, what Paul says in Corinthians. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Friends, even if you have very little of this worldly possessions, if you have Jesus, you're rich. And even if you're filthy rich from this world's possessions, but you have Jesus, you're poor. But if you have Jesus, you abound in all things. And by the way, it's not your best life now. It's your best life forever. God's going to provide you with things that you can't imagine on the other side of eternity. Amen. This world, you may have suffering. This world, you may not have many beings. You may be poor. That's okay. But when you get to the other side and you inherit all that God has for you in eternity... It's not your best life now. It's your best life in the future. Amen. So let's summarize this. This is the big idea on the screen as I play with some beans. For those of you who have ADHD, this will help. Amen. All right. The genius of generosity is knowing that I'm not an owner. These are not my beans. This is not my bread. All right. This is not mine. God provides seed for the sower and bread for food. I'm not an owner, but I'm a steward. And if you understand that truth, you understand the genius of generosity. Generosity is not just good. It's not just godly. It's not just loving, but generosity is genius. And I'm asking you to be a genius Christian today, an intelligent Christian that understands this principle. You can't outgive God. So three action steps, and we're going to beat the Methodist to lunch. First action step is completely devote yourself to God. So if you've never given your life to God, he doesn't want your money. He wants you. God doesn't need your money. It's his anyways, right? So if you're not a Christian today, I want to ask you just to surrender your life to God. If you are a believer, you know, Jesus is Savior, but not Lord. This is your first step. Action step two is develop a giving strategy. So think about your giving strategy for your time, your treasure, your talent. 
On the bottom of your listening guide, I want you to notice there's a commitment slip. And this is not some legally binding thing. It's just you, you take this home and pray about it. You search the scriptures. And you t- if you're married, talk to your spouse. If you're not, talk to a trusted Christian advisor. And start somewhere. Some of you may be newly married and you've never given before. Maybe it's starting with 1%. Maybe it's starting with 2%. But the goal is every year that God blesses you, you become more generous. You can't be generous until you're first faithful. So the idea is become faithful. Start somewhere, right? So for those of you who are giving zero, start somewhere. Put, put a percentage. It's proportional to your giving. And finally, start sowing seed. Start sowing seed. Let's go into the last step up here. Start sowing seed for the future. And wait for anticipation. Because remember the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. You reap more than what you sow. And you reap later than what you sow. So this is the genius of generosity, that you're not an owner, but you're a steward. Let us pray. Father, we've had a lot of fun in church today. And sometimes when we talk about giving, some people don't have fun, but we've had a lot of fun. And God, my prayer as we close, first of all, for believers, no one looking around. I want to talk to every believer listening here today and those online. If you've never surrendered to Jesus as Lord, just go ahead and say, God, I've held back. I've held back because if you surrender to him as a Lord, you have no problem giving of your time and your talent and your treasure. So start there. If you've held back, if you've if you've been a hoarder of the goodness of God, if you've been a consumer, not a contributor, go ahead and tell him, God, I'm sorry. I've not been faithful. As the believers continue to pray, there may be one here today that you've never given your life to Jesus. You know that Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again, but you've never received what he did for you. And the Bible says that if you, in childlike faith, will call upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says you will be saved. So if there's anyone here today that's never given their life to Jesus, just slip up your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to call you forward. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, just slip up your hand. Go ahead, wherever you're at, just slip up your hand. For those online, if you've never accepted Christ, I want you to say this prayer. Say, dear God, thank you for the greatest gift, sending Jesus to die for me, sending Jesus to die, to be raised to life again. And generous God, I want to give my life to you. Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. And Jesus, today I choose to follow you from this day forward. Father, thank you for being so generous. We love you and we give you praise. And as we eat our bread, as we store our seed, and as we sow, we thank you that you're the owner, that you're the source, and we are the resource. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.